Welcome. Come on in. Grab a seat. Ah, thanks. I like that. Moving down. This morning, during worship, sweet spirit here. Sweet, sweet. Um, when we were praying over the service, uh, Russ said, and I'm, I'm probably, you know how you hear somebody say something, you put in your own words, but that we were going to be immersed today. He felt like God was going to immerse us in his spirit, and I think that he has. He is. Totally. Did you feel God's presence during worship? I, yeah, I felt a little undone. It's hard when you feel undone during worship and then you get up to preach. Just so you know, when you're like, I, I feel like I'm going to be a weepy baby. But um, so, uh, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Will you pray with me before I um, get started? Thanks. Father God, thank you. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is real. Thank you that you do show up in our praises. Um, God, if there was somebody here that didn't, didn't experience you today, because it's a thing, I pray that you would help them to know, remember that you are faithful and that you are available and that they will again experience you because you are faithful. I pray that your spirit would continue to speak and move and be a part of our service. I pray that each person here will see you today, will stop long enough to remember Jesus, to remember what you've done for us, who you've called us to be, who you're calling us to be. May we look to you, may we love you today a little more than we did when we came in. Thank you for your kindness, your loving kindness that pursues us even when we don't want to be pursued, even when we don't even know you're real. God, I thank you that though the people in Pullman going to church today might be small, your love is big. It's big enough for everyone. May we never forget. We welcome you here. I trust you to speak through me. Amen. Amen. I am really excited to speak today. I am. I don't. Sometimes I'm nervous. I'm really excited. I'm grateful that you came. I'm grateful that you showed up because I spent a lot of time this week preparing. And so I'm grateful that you are here to, um, to listen. Welcome. I want to say welcome to Pullman Foursquare. If this is your first time, my name is Heidi Pagels, and my husband and I are learning what it means to co-pastor. So we're still working out the kinks. People ask me, I've had people ask, so what does that look like? I'm like, mm. <laughs> we're, we're working on it. We're figuring it out. So welcome, and welcome if you've been here even longer than me, because there's some of you unicorns that have been in Pullman a long time. So I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you got out of bed and you made it to come be with us. So last week, Jamie, I don't know if we have that 
slide from last week? It was so good. That was your slide. Tangled. Is it? No. All right. I will describe it to you with my own words. It was so good. So last week, Jamie preached a really good sermon on 1 Corinthians. And he introduced 1 Corinthians. We're going to be going through the book of 1 Corinthians. And he has titled this sermon series for me, so I don't have to, Tangled. Tangled. And the reason he named it Tangled is because what had happened is the church in Corinth and the culture had gotten tangled. They looked the same. So Paul is writing to the people in Corinthians, and he is going to help them untangle. He's going to help them be like, this is actually not the way the church is supposed to look. And he's going to be bold, and he's going to say, and actually you're, you're sinning. So that's why it's called Tangled, because it was tangled up and the church looked messy. So I think that the ideas of our culture shape our church a lot, like more than we probably realize. And I think you can see that because the church looks different in Europe. It looks different in the South. It looks different in Idaho. It looks different in Seattle than it looks in Pullman. And I sometimes think to myself, where do, we, where do we look more like our American culture in the Pacific Northwest than I look like Jesus? And that's kind of what Paul is going to help the people do here. It is what Paul is going to help the people do here. So I was reading this book. It's called Blue Parakeet. Super interesting. It's a great book if you like reading church books and make you think Blue Parakeet. And he says, he goes, I would like to propose to you that the Christian view on justice, like the way we go about bringing justice, has more to do with the U.S. Constitution than the Bible. I was like, what? He goes, whether you are, he's like, whatever spectrum you're on, whether you're the liberal spectrum or the conservative spectrum, he goes, I don't care where you line on that. He's like, I would like to propose to you that your ideas of, God's ju- of justice come more from the U.S. Constitution than the Bible. And then he goes to unravel, like, the idea of water and food and those things. He's like, there's nothing wrong with them. He's like, but it doesn't necessarily match what God's idea of justice looks like and challenged us to take a look. So Paul is writing to the Corinthians to address several different areas of their lives where the Christians of Corinth looked more like the culture than Christ. 1 Corinthians is broken into five sections plus an ending. And in each section, Paul writes like an essay. And he says, this is the topic we're going to talk about. And this is how it doesn't look like Christ. So each one, he introduces it. He talks about sexual relations. Paul doesn't ever shy away from anything. He talks about marriage. He talks about how the church gathers And he talks about divisions. And he says, Paul says, you can look at every area of your life through the story of Christ. Every area. The way you parent. The way you deal with your money. What kind of friend you are. How you study. Like what you study. How you live out your career. Every area through the lens of Christ. So I would like to invite you to read 1 Corinthians. I didn't come up with this idea on my own. I was like, that's a brilliant idea. As we were leaving last week, somebody's like, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians. I was like, 
oh, what a good idea. We should, we should do that together. And then so I heard someone else over saying, this is so perfect. I just started reading 1 Corinthians. I was like, ah. So I would like to invite you, I think we have four or five more sermons, to read 1 Corinthians together with the preaching team, to, um, to think for yourself, to pray through it at home. And I would like to invite you, so when we were in Bible college, the professors would encourage us to read the books in one sitting. And they would, they'd actually, because they were in Bible college, it was an assignment. Kind of weird, isn't it? Reading the Bible for a, gr- a grade? I always thought it was weird, but that's what I went to school for. So they would say, I want you to sit, and I want you to read the entire book. Corinthians, I checked this morning, is 16 chapters. I thought it was 15. It's 16. I think it'll take you half hour to 45 minutes, depending on how fast you read or slow. You're maybe an hour if you're slow. But I'd, I encourage you to read it with us and come and read it like thinking there are different sections. What is Paul addressing and what part of the gospel is he pointing to? So I'd like to invite you to join and have your own thoughts. So one point that Jamie brought last week that I I want to remind you of, I don't want us to forget, is he said that, and Paul talks about this a lot, I saw this week, is Paul says, I am writing to you. The reason I can write to you, the reason I can tell you these things is because I'm your spiritual father. He's like, I've earned that right. I'm your spiritual father. I love you. I'm not just a guide. I'm not just a voice, but I love you. And Jamie um, encouraged us to be mentors, to be spiritual fathers and mothers for the people around us. And I wanted to tell you something that um, the four staff, what we've been doing to do this, I'm like, just so you know, we have asked each other, who is mentoring you? So we've asked, like, who is mentoring me? And who is mentoring Jamie and Janice? And it's something I've actually started. Um, and, then, and then we turn and say, who are you mentoring? So they asked me, Heidi, who are you mentoring? And we said, Casey, Who's mentoring you? Who are you mentoring? And it's actually changed. We have actually gone out and looked for people um, to, to mentor us. Super cool. A couple weeks ago, didn't know it, but the executive pastor for all the Yakima churches was here, 54-year-old lady, and she contacted me. And I was like, hmm, maybe this will be one of my mentors. So it was super, super cool. It's hard to find a female pastor to mentor you if you're a female pastor. They're like unicorns. So, but I want to encourage you. Don't forget that. That was the... So um, a solid point that Jamie made. So why, why could Paul call himself a spiritual father? So Paul had gone to the city of Corinth. He went to them to share about Jesus Christ. He went to them because they were a port city. They were a big town. They were a hub. So if you went there, the news of Jesus Christ, if people believed it, would go out from there. And he was there for a year and a half, and he spent time with them. And the church began to grow from there. Um, it's kind of the same way we do things now with Foursquare. They go to big cities. They go to big hubs. They focus on big towns. Not us. That's okay. We're all right. They, they, they try, try to plant in New York, and they're trying to focus on Seattle. They focus on Portland and California. So Paul kind of did the same thing. He's like, if people are saved there, they're going to go out from there. So um, we're going to start and look at the first essay, the first section that he talks about. So each of Paul's essays, each of the sections, he talks about, he introduces what, where they're wrong, where they're not seeing things clearly, and he points them to Christ. Every time, he points them to Christ and how Christ saw things, sees things. And I kind of wanted to be like, this is why we have the cross here. 
so that every time we come, we remember. This is why we're here. And I wanted to let you know, this is why this icon is here. It's Jesus. Someone's like, who is that? I was like, oh, I guess we should let you know. This is Jesus. And the icon is here. I look at it during worship to focus. This is why I'm here. This is why I showed up. This is why I'm here again. And this is what Paul does in the letters. He's like, this is why we're here. This is why we show up. So join me in 1 Corinthians, and we're going to start at 1.10. Chapter 1, verse 10. And I'm going to read the first three verses. And this is Paul. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, people of Corinth, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people, Chloe, she's brave, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul. Or, you know what? I follow Apollos. Or, I follow Cephas. Or, I follow Christ. And then he says, how can Christ be divided? He's saying to them, you guys, this isn't a popularity contest. This isn't like who is the best apostle. It's not um, who's your favorite. Pick your favorite church leader. Who likes Paul? Who likes Heidi? Come on, you know it. Yeah, thanks. He's like, this isn't what it's about. This isn't about it. And I was like, we so do this. I'm a Baptist. I'm Presbyterian. I'm Foursquare. And Paul says, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm not first to Foursquare. I'm not first. I like Bethel. Well, I actually prefer Hill songs. I'm more Elevation. I'm, I really like Elevation. I love InterVarsity. Well, you know, I kind of like Campus Crusade or Crew. They're pretty bomb. It's, it's the same. It's the same thing. Or I really love John Piper. I don't like John Piper so much. He doesn't jive with me. I'm really into Eugene Peterson. So this is what Paul says. Paul says, we all preach the same message. It's Christ. It's Christ. And Christ crucified. That Christ rose from the dead. And that the power that we have to live is in Christ. Paul reminds them that these, ele- these people that you're elevating, that you're like, this is like the best preacher ever. This is what he says about the leaders. Go to verse 27 and 28 with me. Chapter 1. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human, no human might boast in the presence of God. Verse 31 says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul reminds them, we like to make superheroes out of people or denominations. But God chose people that aren't really that awesome to be awesome for him. God chose the weak people. God didn't choose the brilliant people. God doesn't choose the people that necessarily have it all put together. And so you're making a popularity contest about something that doesn't even count, doesn't even work. In chapter 2, Paul says, 
And Paul says about himself, and when I came to you, brothers, did I not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God? Oh, I did not come with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided, he decided, this is how I'm going to come to you, knowing nothing, nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. If you've read Paul, you know he's brilliant. He's super learned. He's super educated. And he says, and I chose to come to you just knowing about Jesus. That's it. I could have, but I didn't want you to be like, Paul, he's amazing. Oh my gosh, you've got to listen to his podcast. It's the best. The Bible Project, man, that guy can preach. I sure wish I lived in Portland so I could go there. Just kidding. No, people do say that. It only hurts a little, but that's okay. But he says, like, Paul's like, that's why I came to you like this. I decided to know nothing except for Christ and Christ crucified. He's already said that twice by the time we got to this point. And it's interesting because later on he's going to say to the people of Corinthians, he started saying, I don't actually, you know, we probably, Christ resurrecting from the dead. I kind of find that unlikely that that really happened. Like, do we really actually need to believe that to be Christians? And there are churches that believe that. Like, we served with a pastor. He's like, I'm not so sure I believe in the resurrection anymore. So Paul just is slipping it in here already. We believe in Christ and that he was crucified and that he rose again. I just find it interesting that he slides it in there before he even brings it up as the main topic. He's clever. So Paul says, okay, so there is a wisdom. There is a wisdom of the mature in Christ. So read with me verses 6 in chapter 2. He's like, I, I won't deny to you that there, there is a wisdom that, that people have. So yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret hidden wisdom of God. Now go with me to verses 10 and 11. I really love these verses. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. 13, the end of 13b says, spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. He's saying that just like you, you're the only one that knows the core of who you are and what's going on inside of you. That the same is true of God. The Spirit of God is the only person who knows what's going on But he's saying that that spirit lives in you. It's mind-blowing. And that we can know the deep spiritual truths of God. That blows my mind. That God can reveal that to me. And then Paul goes on. This part's kind of rough. Chapter 3, verse 1. But, so he's saying this about spiritual people. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. Ouch. But as people of the flesh, as infants of Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. And even now you're not ready for it. For you are still of the flesh. Ouch. He's saying, when I came to you a year and a half, for that year and a half time, I fed you milk. Like, that's what babies get. 
Like you're new believers. I was just sharing the basics with you. And now I'm, it's later, it's later, right? You should be in a different place. He's like, and all you have is milk. That's all you're ready for. You're not spiritually mature. It's like, ouch. Can you imagine saying that to people? It's like, woo. I wouldn't want that to be said of me. I was like, God, please may that not be said of me. So there's lots of ways to grow. But I was thinking of it. That's why we have done the class Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Because we know that you can come to church your entire life and not grow. I mean, it it happens. I'll have college students that come to college group who have grown up in church, but they didn't want to be there. They know nothing of the Bible. They have sat through church their entire lives, but their hearts weren't soft to the things of God. They were there because this is what our family does. They, they know nothing. They don't know the basic stories. They, they, like you would think they were completely unchurched because their hearts weren't ready to be open to the things of God. And sometimes I'm like, are you kidding me? You went to Joe Whitworth's church and you don't know that guy is a phenomenal preacher. I listen to him online, and you know nothing because their hearts weren't ready. And he's saying that could be true of, of you as well. And so he's going to tell them, this is why. He tells them, this is why you are still not mature. Because there's jealousy among you and strife. You are operating in a human way. When one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Foursquare, and the other one says, I follow Mark Driscoll. You're divided. That brings jealousy. So what are Paul? What are Apollos? What are the leaders? What am I? What am I? I'm a worker. That's what it says. I'm a worker for God. That's what I am. That's all I am. I'm just a worker for God. Pretty basic. Even the ones that are amazing, they're workers for God. That's all they are. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. So maybe one person tells somebody about Jesus, and they believe in Jesus. Another person mentors them for years and years and years, or for a little while. But it's God who makes things grow. He's like, perspective Nobody makes things happen except for God. Doesn't matter. Mark Batterson, doesn't matter. It's God who makes things grow. And then it goes on to saying Christ is the foundation. So he's saying, this is how I want you to look at your leaders. Don't elevate them. Don't be like, oh, I go to so-and-so's church. I go to Jesus' church. So in chapter 4, he's like, this is how you should regard us. He's going to tell you, Right? Instead of trying to make people like movie stars, like the world, or they're so amazing, Paul says, this is how you see them. This is how I want you to look at your pastor. Ready? This is how I want you to look at me. This is how I want you to look at the other people you're listening to. Regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Review us, regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards, this is what's required of me, to be found faithful. 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 That's what's required of pastors and leaders and missionaries. 
be faithful. I think sometimes we put lots of expectations on our pastors. Sometimes I put expectations on my supervisor. I want him to be amazing. And I want him to be empathetic, and he's not. But God's called him to be faithful, and he is very faithful. He's very faithful. That's what God calls of all of us, really, right? Whether you're whoever you are, be faithful. I love this next part. He says, I like Paul, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court, for I don't even fact judge myself. So the people are judging him. They have ideas about him. They're judging him. He goes, I don't care if you judge me. What is it to me if you judge me? I don't even judge myself. He goes, as far as I know, I'm fine. Like, I don't know. I'm fine. I'm doing the best I can. And I sometimes feel that way. Like, I don't know. I'm doing the best I can. I love that. He's so strong to be like, I don't even judge myself. I think we should all be like that. Like, as far as I know, I'm fine before God. Don't judge me. I'm doing the best I can. When I thought of that, I thought of, um, do you guys know who Bill Hybels is? So he pastored, like, the biggest, 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 biggest church in the United States for decades. Huge impact. He's written lots and lots of books. He, thousands, including Foursquare, thousands of churches go, would go and hear his, um, his seminars. What was it called? Global Leadership. Like, tons of churches, um, Real life in our town would host it every year up in Foursquare in Spokane. They would host it and invite people. And uh, his daughter, Shonda Nyquist, is actually like one of my favorite authors. I really like her books. And it came out, right, it came out that he had been inappropriate with a lot of women. Like a lot of uh, women, like big name women, like in the church culture that travel and do ministry with him, that he made inappropriate advances and he had to be removed. He was removed from his church. And uh, biggest church in America, decades. His last year, it came, I think, yeah, it came, it came out with the Me Too. It was in the church, too. It's not just in the, in the cult. It's, it's in the church. And um, I looked a little bit because I, I was interested in seeing if it was true or false. But this is what I think we should be. This, this is how I think we should respond. This is how I think Paul is saying next we should respond. I, I, it's not my place to judge him. It's not my place to judge him. Do I think that what he did was wrong if it really happened? Because how do I know I live in Washington State? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's wrong. But it says, Paul says, The Lord will come and bring to light the things now hidden in darkness. And God will disclose the purposes of the heart. God discloses the purposes of the heart. It's not my job to worry about Bill Hybels. It's not my job. Who knows what will happen in his heart between now and when he dies? Who knows? I also thought of this, and I was going to ask Annie, and I didn't. But I'm still going to share it. This is how I think we should respond. So I told her when we were out for a walk that there's two churches that are blending together down in Clarkston, and they're different denominations. And her first response was, I don't know about that. And then, do you know how when somebody has a thought, and then they're like, this isn't my place. She goes, you know what? I'm sure they prayed about it. 
That was it. I think when we're like, I don't know about that, and we, like, I just saw you like, this isn't my place. I don't even, I don't even need, I could see it all over her. I don't need to have an opinion about this. Right? That was what she gave. That was the vibe she gave. I don't need to have an opinion. Why do I need to have an opinion about this? And I think that's how it needs to be. We don't need to have an opinion because God's got it. How freeing is it if we're not casting out, like, thoughts about the church across town or our neighbor or anybody, and we can let God be God? My kids will ask me, do you think so-and-so is a Christian? And I say, I don't know. I don't know. The Bible says we can look at their life, but I don't know. Do you think those Catholics are Christians? I'm like, probably. I don't know. I don't know. Let God decide. It's not our place. So lastly, at the end, Paul says, this is, this is, these are who your church leaders are. Here it is. We are fools for Christ. The scum of the world. The last of men. That's kind of freeing, actually, a little bit. That's who I am. I'm a fool for Christ. <laughs> I'm the last of men. I don't. I think that might actually rub wrong in reality. I'm the scum of the world. I think it'd be nice if people in the American church treated their leaders that way. I think it'd be healthier. We fall mighty. We fall often in our American culture. Pastors burn out and flee faster than they come. Our denomination is one of the most thriving denominations. It is. We are positioned because we are uh, innovative. We're super innovative. So we are positioned to make it when other denominations are not right now. But Jamie and I are now young. When I look at the pastors, we shouldn't be young. We're 40. We shouldn't be. I was like, where are the young people? Why are most of the pastors in this? And the pastors are a little nervous. They're mostly like Janie and Russ's age and Jan's, and they're like, we're kind of getting a little tired, and who are we going to give this church to? For real. They're saying that. They're like, we're, we would like to mentor you. They keep, that's why they keep saying this. They keep saying, we would like to be mentors. They say that a lot. We would like to be mentors. And they're like, and we are not. We are pastors. Um, so maybe somebody here is called to be a four-square pastor. I don't know. Pretty sweet. Pretty sweet. Or a pastor of any denomination. That's cool, since I'm speaking on that. <laughs> In conclusion, Paul says at the end, and I really like this, and I think it applies to all of us. Verse 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. I do not write to you to tell you to stop picking favorites, stop elevating us and looking at us ways that you should not so that you would be ashamed, but to admonish you so that you can see it differently. Isn't that how it is as a parent? We're not out to, like, shame our kids because we love them. 
We want to admonish them. Paul is the same way, right? Hopefully. We try not to shame our kids. We really do at our house. (laughs) We do. It's something we actively work on. Um, And he says to you, I'm your spiritual father, and I love you, and I'm going to admonish you. Have you had someone who's done that for you that's brave? Who, like, says, willing to actually speak up and say, I see something in you? I haven't had too many people say that to me. A few. Because I love you. Because I've earned that right. Yeah, I've had a few people. It's true love. He calls him their spiritual father. And he's not a guide. Because he's earned that place. You're, you're, you whispered and she smiled. We're small enough, I can see this. <laughs> so, the very end, Paul says, Um, something that I've thought about a lot is to be an imitator of me. He says, you can imitate me. And I point it out because he's going to say it several times in Corinthians. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Right? As I follow Christ. And I've thought about this because this is what I want to say to you, to people around me. I want to be able to say, and I ask myself, can I say this? Follow me as I follow Christ. As a parent, I want to say to my kids, you can look at me, I'm not perfect, but you can look at me, and you'll know how to follow Christ. When I lead my group of 20-year-olds that are all gone for the summer, I think, can they, can they look at my life and be like, yeah, I could live like that and follow Christ. I could, I could follow Heidi and meet Christ. And I, it's my prayer. It's my hope for you. That where God has planted you, where you are at, when the people around you look at you and they go, if I follow this person, it will lead me to Christ. So I wanted to point out, Paul is going to bring it up up, over and over again. So today, as I was concluding, I was thinking, what do I want? What do I want you to remember? Can't remember too much from each sermon. Probably I'll remember something different. I hope that the Holy Spirit spoke to you. Please don't elevate the Christian leaders. We can start here. Please treat them, us, as workers and servants of Christ. Don't pick favorites. Don't make it a celebrity contest. That's what the world does. That's not what we do. That's not what we do. Let's not judge our leaders. We're pretty human. Actually, just as human as you, for real. If you're one of my good friends, you know it. Um, I'll try to be faithful. I'm trying to be faithful. I think what Paul really wants us to remember, more than anything, is that everything points back to Christ. I think that's why he wrote the whole essay is to point the people back to Christ crucified. And that's where the power comes from for the leaders and for you, for everyone. And that is where the wisdom comes from. Not from being super smart or book learned, but from Christ. So as we close today, I want you to ask yourself, where did God prick your heart today? Where did God prick your heart? It could be from the message. It could be from a conversation. 
would be from worship. Where did God prick your heart today? I'll give you just a couple. Where did God prick your heart? And the second one I would like you to think about is what do you want to ponder this week? What do you want to think about? So what pricked your heart? Could be the same thing, maybe not. And what do you want to think about this week? Where did God prick my heart? What does he want for me? That's probably even a better question. What does he want me to ponder this week? Jesus, I thank you that I get to preach. I thank you that I I get to spend time in your word for hours for a job. I'm kind of overwhelmed by it. God, I thank you that you showed up today. I thank you for our sweet worship. God, help us to remember what you want us to remember this week, whether it's a word or a phrase. Jesus, as we close today, when we go back out into our lives, may we bring you with us. May we not forget you. May we make space for you. I read this week, 10 minutes with Jesus can change everything, radically change a life. May we remember your cross. May we keep you before us. I've had this image of you before me, just kind of before me. The voices in this world are loud, so God, I pray when we come together on Sundays that we will be anchored in you. We will remember our first love. Jesus, if there's someone here today who has never said yes to you, there's someone who hasn't met you yet who hasn't said yeah I believe I want to I want to see I want to see about this Jesus I invite you to to pray right now invite Christ to come show up be real to you forgive you show you what this cross is about Father as we close in worship solidify something for each person here. Thank you. Amen. Would you stand with me?